This is Floss Weekly. I'm Doc Searles, and this week Simon Phipps and I talked to an old friend of us both, Christine Hall, and she is fabulous. She has been around at least as long as I have, knows all this kind of stuff, um, is a hardcore Foss person. She runs Foss Force, which is her, her own publication. She's a radio veteran. She has lots of original thinking about all kinds of topics that are enduring and matter, and that is coming up next. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Floss Weekly, episode 716, recorded Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. Desperately seeking software freedom. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get the password manager that offers a robust and cost-effective solution that can drastically increase your chances of staying safe online. Get started with a free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan, or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. Hello again, everybody, everywhere. This is Floss Weekly. I am Doc Searles, and... This week, I am joined by Simon Phipps himself, who is appearing on screen. So I know it's a different setting. You, you, you've moved yeah, around. Yeah, look- it's the weather has got cold here, and I've moved into the house, and I'm in my uh, home <laughs> office as opposed to my home office in the office in the garden at home. Oh well, well it's a, but you're still we- you're wearing a hoodie, and yeah, <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> so it's still- I just. There is still ice on the water on all the water features in the garden, and, um, oh, and wow. it's nighttime here, so uh, it's it's getting colder again. So, well, I'm I'm still at Santa Barbara for just this week. Next week I'll be back in Indiana, where it's snowing heavily right now. Here it is, yeah, of I course, think paradise. It's snowing in Santa it's Barbara. It's paradisal. Yeah, not in, no, it never does here in Santa Barbara. It's beautiful here, of course. It's required. It's by law. Um, yeah. So, so our our guest today is is Christine Hall. You'd you know her um better than i know her i think though i've read her for years uh, we've we have run into each other a number of times there was a, a time when christine was on the osi board and christine oh, wow. has been writing about um open source for forever uh, i'm from before it was called open source like you have <laughs> so uh and uh, it's listened to the conversation before the show it sounded like you had a lot of contact points in common so we have, I we have think a, a lot of contact we're, we're going to have to stop you talking about your history in north carolina <laughs> i think <laughs> i don't know it, it's too interesting it's um I, I i love um uh what um dorothy parker said about older men um she said i prefer younger men because their stories are shorter so that's, <laughs> so I'm afraid I have nothing but log stories. Well, I, I want to get into the show here. So, um, uh, Christine Hall, like me in some ways, grew up in radio back when she says when FM was mono and, and worked a lot, uh, there until 94, including a stint with a bona fide unlicensed pirate station in Toronto. We may or may not talk about that. Uh, sold her first article to the LA Free Press in 1972. That's about when I got started in journalism. Helped start a sci-fi magazine in Toronto in 75. Started writing about tech rent. Oh, two in this millennium and um, wrote a computer column under the name Ms. Lynn Windoss or something like that. And started writing about FOSS full time, calling it FOSS. Um, uh, about 2009 when she started FOSS Force, describes herself as still a hippie. And she still does an hour long radio show, 60s music every Sunday at six on the barrel of rock.com. So welcome, Christine. There you are. I see well, hello. you're in your lair. Um, Happy to be here. So, so, so there's so much we can, we can, we can touch on. Um, so and we, we talked before the show an awful lot about radio. Do you, uh, do you miss over the air broadcasting at all? Or is, is, is broadcasting on the net fine? Cause everybody gets it on their phones. I, broadcasting over the net would be fine if we were doing it the same way that we did uh, uh, over the air radio, where it was you, you were actually sitting at a console doing the show live. 
uh, station I'm working for, we're uh, uploading MP3 files, you know, for the music that's on the playlist, and then I got to record the drops. And you know what? What should? What would take a, a three minute, a, a, a one minute talk break on live radio is is a one minute talk break. It takes me an hour to put one of these together because every time I stumble a little bit, I want to go fix that. Yeah. Uh, so, Some so assembly it's a whole required. lot more time consuming. Yeah. So, so I'm curious about the, the the copyright aspect of it. Is um, I mean, it, so how how do you handle that? Is it is it you just report it in to Sound Exchange and you keep a you know whoever is running Barrel of Rock just keeps a record of that. It could be very complicated. For the Barrel of Rock, it's easy because uh, they're using the service of 365 Live oh, right. okay. to, yeah. to do it, and then they take care of all that for you. So. Uh, um, so, because so, I've always I've looked at it when I've thought about starting an internet radio station, I'm going. That looks like an incredible amount of complicated bookkeeping that I wouldn't want to have yeah. to do. I remember what it was like in the old days on radio, when um, every year BMI would require radio stations to to keep a list of every song they played for a right. week. BMI and ASCAP and um, mm-hmm. and CSAC too, and yeah. that was just for composers. Um, and decomposers, and, and now it's now because the the record industry saw that radio was in the nineties. They knew it. They knew radio was going to go online, and that was a chance to get money for artists. And so artists are paid micro pennies for every time something gets played for somebody, <laughs> and they're still complaining, you know, with with some cause. So, um, so okay, you, so let me start with a really broad question, which is okay. You've been at Linux for a long time. What what are the changes you've seen over the years, and where do you think it is now? And we can drill down. As far as desktop that. Linux goes, it's, it's it's never been better, you know, from a technical viewpoint. You know, I you, you I think we both probably remember the days uh, when you inst- when you installed Linux, and then you were going to spend a day or two figuring around, uh, f- uh, fooling around with the configurations, trying to uh, get it to work. You know, will the sound work? Uh, uh, will will the camera work on my laptop? And 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 it was just a, it was it was kind of a nightmare, and you had to have uh, a a pretty good degree of technical proficiency uh, to get your distribution to work. Nowadays, you just uh, you, you you install Linux and it works out of the box. You very rarely have any problems whatsoever. You know, if you if if you're using the right distro. Um, so so from from that angle, it's never been better. What I do miss about the early days of Linux is it was kind of a uh, online commodity between uh, um, Linux users. It was a whole community, and we were talking about the technical issues, and we were talking about it was almost like being um, – uh, a hippie back in the '60s when you were all trying to figure out ways to fix the the problems with American culture, uh, and those days are gone, you know. Um, and, and that's kind of sad in some ways, I think. But so, are you uh, actively switching from distro to distro? Because I mean, I, I hear there's Pop Linux is the flavor of the week uh, at the moment. Are you trying all these out, or have you settled in your ways and your you're using your your highly highly developed copy of Mint or whatever it was that was good uh, historically. You know, I've, I've looked at I've looked at Pop and I played around with Pop quite a bit because I own two computers from System seventy six, uh, and it's a good distro. But I've never been a distro hopper. Uh, I've always been. I, I started out on Mandrake. I used Mandrake until it became obvious that Mandriva was going to. Um, Bite the dust, and then I switched to PCLOS, and then for a while I used Bodai, and then settled in on Linux Mint about oh I don't know ten years ago maybe, and have been using Linux Mint ever since. So I'm not a distro hopper, but the only time I look at another distro is uh, if I have to do a review. Right. See, I've pretty much given that up now because I, I found that uh, I was trying to use those distros. And they would inevitably corrode on me, and I'd find myself having to go and fix something at the command line. And then you 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 then get all the tech bro stuff where everyone looks down at you for not knowing the right command to give. 
Uh, and, and I finally got tired of all of that and switched to Chrome OS in oh, about a decade ago. And now I do all of my Linux in a container on top of my Chrome desktop. Are you tempted to, to, to switch into that maintained world or, or are you going to be um, there on your self-maintained uh, mint? Well, I've forever, never had that experience. I've never had that experience, Simon, uh, in, in recent years. Uh, I, I install a, a, a long-term support LTS version of mint on uh, on my machine, and I use it until um, until it dates out, and then um, just upgrade to the to the next newest thing. Um, and I don't think I've I don't think I've had to go into the command line to fix something on Linux in at least ten or fifteen years. Yeah. So Ant has been commenting on the uh, the the chat over here. Uh, he wonders if you've ever heard of Pulse Audio. He he thinks that um, uh, that is unlikely to work <laughs> from the box. Uh, do you never struggle with drivers? <laughs> well, you know, my problem with Pulse doesn't have to do with drivers. It, it just sometimes is hard to figure out how to do things in Pulse, and things quit working unexpectedly or or, or fail to uh, work the way they're supposed to. And, and, and but all my configuration and problems getting it back up uh, comes from uh, using the, the GUI. So, so I'm wondering if um, we're talking on a Linux. We're talking on a Linux machine right now. It's System seventy six. Uh, so, so you're getting part of it is you 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 get from System seventy six what say Apple users get from Apple for keeping you up to date and that kind of thing. Would that be a fair statement? Well, yes and no. Uh, I'm not using Pop OS. Uh, I played mm. when 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 I bought the machine. I uh, played around with Pop for for about a week. I liked it quite a bit, but uh, it wasn't the GNOME. The GNOME desktop is the GNOME desktop. Isn't isn't the workflow that I'm used to? So I I finally just installed Mint on it. I like all my machines to have the the same operating system, the same. Uh, file system structure and so forth. So when I move from machine to machine, I don't have to remember where things are on this machine. Uh, but yes, uh, as far as drivers go, um, System76 does a great job. About once or twice a year, I'll find that there's been a driver update. All I have to do is go, uh, like Windows, just go press a button, say update the drivers, and they update the drivers. So, so, so that's kind of that's kind of cool and neat. Something I never expected to see in, uh, on Linux, and that's coming. I'm using a different operating system than was originally installed on the machine, and they're still doing it for me. That's great. So, um, I'm I'm looking at the wonderful list of questions you gave for us. As many different rat holes we can go down. Um, one is that in, in, in many ways when Linux won, and I think, it, I mean, obviously it won in a way with, um, with Android on, on cell phones, which, you know, we carry everywhere. Um, but also in the enterprise has become, it, you know, it, it has become defaulted as the base of the stack that most enterprises are running. Most clouds are running as well. And, and one of the things you said is an assertion I rather like, which is how winning the enterprise wasn't necessarily good for open source. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Well, that gets back to the the thing I was talking about earlier when the, when when there was a really tight, uh, almost uh, social type of community around around Linux, and it was all focused on the user, and it was all focused. Uh, in, you know, there was a lot of talk. Of course, we didn't see the cloud coming. But there was a lot of talk about, you know, putting power in the hands of the of the user, the power of the computer, and so forth. And then with the enterprise, the home user, the 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 people that uh, just want to do do things on their computer, we're a very small part now of the open source community. Where at one time, you know, we dominated the open source community. Enterprise open source is almost. A, entirely dis different animal than the open source community that I cut my teeth on uh, because really enterprise open source uh, 
big corporations who had common interest uh, in, in the software that they were producing found that, well, we can all get together and we can work together on this open source using a, uh, you know, a progressive license, uh, work together and then take what we've done and each go our own separate way by adding our secret soft and making it proprietary. And that's really not the spirit of uh, open source, you know, going back to the days of the free software movement and so forth. You didn't you didn't use open source as a way to uh, come up with a proprietary product. So and I understand I, I don't have a problem with that, but uh, it's kind of taken away from the open source experience from from, from the way we envisioned it back in the, the 90s and the early 2000s. It occurs to me that the F in, in FOSS or FLOSS might not just mean free, but also might mean full stack in the sense that, you know, <clears throat> what we had in the old days you were talking about, and, and, and you still do, and Simon still does, me to a lesser extent, I hate to say, but um, uh, where it's free all the way up, where, where you have choice going up all the way up, that, that the point you were making about how there's you know, the, the big companies now form cabals that uh, that work on common problems sort of, sort of deeper in the stack <clears throat> or in containers or whatever, um, but then put their own proprietary stuff on top. Um, I, I, I hadn't meant to bring up the Linux Foundation. We actually mentioned the Linux Foundation <laughs> there. <laughs> you said, why does the Linux Foundation do absolutely nothing for desktop Linux? And that may be an example of that. Is that is that the case? I mean, there's sort of two things to critique there. One is or at least visit one is the Linux Foundation itself as a place where where companies get together to work on common problems, then put their proprietary stuff on top of it. Um, and the other is whatever it did for desktop Linux, which in some ways we still don't have in a popular way. Well, you know, when the, when the Linux Foundation came along, I had had great hope that that was that they would be uh, channeling some money into helping. Uh, Helping all the different distros. There's some common problems uh, with the with the fit and polish on Linux distros that are kind of not big enough for people to pay attention to, but they end up being a, uh, a pain in the keister for the user when they're when they're trying to to figure out how to get things to work and and to make the Linux experience a little smoother. It's pretty smooth now, and and I don't think that's such a big problem anymore. But they've done absolutely nothing. For, for for desktop Linux. In fact, they they act like they have disdain for for desktop Linux, um, and and I'm very supportive of the Linux Foundation and the good work that they do in other areas. You know, the OpenSSF, uh, Cloud Native Computing Foundation. All all, all this is good, um, but it just seems to me that they could. They could have a desktop Linux project, you know, channel a few dollars into that, have some people working on on fixing some of the common problems that uh, the developers at, you know, Debian or Arch or any of the other distros are all having in common um, to, to make it easier for people to come out with, 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 with good distros that just work. I can't hear you. I I had hit mute because I was coughing. There we are. Okay. No longer doing that. <laughs> I know Simon has a question, and I want to get to that. But first, I have to let people know that this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the only open source cross-platform password manager that can be used at home, at work, or on the go, and is trusted by millions. Even our very own Steve Gibson has switched over with Bitwarden. You can securely store credentials across personal and business worlds. January 22nd to 28th, as this week, is Data Privacy Week leading up to Data Privacy Day. Bitwarden would like to remind everyone that your data is valuable and so is your privacy. All of your data in your Bitwarden vault is end-to-end encrypted and not just your passwords. That's including URLs for all the websites you have accounts for. Bitwarden doesn't track your data in the mobile apps, only crash reporting, and even that is removed in the F-Droid installation. Bitwarden is open source and invites anyone to review library implementations at any time on GitHub and also review the Bitwarden privacy policies at bitwarden.com privacy. Protect your personal data and privacy with Bitwarden 
by adding security to your passwords with strong, randomly generated passwords for each account. Go a step further with the username generator and create unique usernames for each account as well, or even use any of the five integrated email alias services. Bitwarden offers email alias generation with simple login, Anon Addy, Firefox Relay, Fastmail, and now DuckDuckGo. These services allow you to create a masked email address, one that you could use for only one website, for example, and forwards any emails to your primary email account. This keeps your main email address out of the databases of the services and sites you sign up for. Bitwarden is a must-need for your business. It's fully customizable and adapts to your business needs. Their team's organization option is $3 a month per user, and their enterprise organization plan is $5 a month per user. Share private data securely with coworkers across departments or the entire company. Individuals can use their basic free account forever for an unlimited number of passwords or upgrade anytime to their premium account for less than $1 a month. The family organization option gives up to six users premium features for only $3.33 a month. Bitwarden supports importing and migrating from many other programs too. At Twit, we are fans of password managers. Bitwarden is the only open source cross-platform password manager that can be used at home, on the go, or at work, and is trusted by millions of individuals, teams, and organizations worldwide. Get started with a free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan, or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. That's bitwarden.com slash twit. So, Simon. <laughs> right. Take it away. Yeah, so, I, I'm sitting here in reverie listening to your, uh, your, your soft tones there, Doc. So, uh, Christine, uh, it strikes me that the free software community and to a certain degree, the open source community uh, crystallized around a concern about a common enemy in the 2000s, which was Microsoft. And uh, today, Microsoft um, is uh, certainly wearing the clothes of a friend. They may even contain a friend. So who is the enemy that we crystallize around now? Or are we faced with having to find some other form of unity as a community? That's a really good question. Uh, Microsoft, uh, I still hate them, but I hate them for different reasons than I used to. Uh, They have become good open source citizens in a way, as you say. Uh, At at the same token, um, they're they're still a big corporation, and and, um, my past since the 1960s tells me to distrust any hedonist corporation. I think really, and and what we're missing the boat on and what the open source community, um, the common enemy that we have, if if we want to put it in that sort of terminology, is the cloud and the rise of uh, software as a service, the fact that you're no longer installing the software on your machine. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's very convenient. It's easy to use. Uh, but it also takes the, the power of computing away, and there's really no way to address that with 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 licensing. And I think that that's something that uh, it would be nice if we uh, had a long discussion uh, online uh, about how we how we deal with this and how we make uh, software as a service in web apps and so forth more freer and more accessible to to you know the average everyday user right so now i'm spending a lot of time uh in europe working to get the european commission to do something uh, about keeping uh the liberty of software present while dealing with um the domination of corporations uh, and the european commission's view is that interoperability is the key and that the the problem is uh, when proprietary vendors build walls. Uh, do you think the, that cloud software as a service is always a problem? Or do you think that software as a service that's implementing standards is actually the way for software freedom to go? Well, that's, that, that is probably true because, you know, we're not going to make software as a service go away. And there are a lot of advantages to it. Interoperative 
interoperability uh, is is going to be key. And and I think I think we're there in many ways. You know, I have no problem. I use LibreOffice, and I have no problem connecting to people and 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 getting documents to them when they're using uh, uh, Microsoft Word or Google Docs. Uh, so, so, so yeah, and you know, the short answer to that would be yes. That 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 is it's is very important. Uh, of course, it does take ownership away from from people, though, and that I'm not and, and I'm not really comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other dimension to this, of course, you just mentioned LibreOffice. Um, the big push from the proprietary vendors has been to get people using cloud services like Google Suite or Office 365. Do you think that uh, our position in the world of open source and free software is secure uh, by only having desktop Office suites, or are we going to have to do something about getting open source Office suites out into the cloud? I'm, I'm, I think we we do need open source Office suites in the in the, in the cloud. Uh, you know it. You see SaaS services that advertise that you know that 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 our entire service is open source. That doesn't really matter because you know, we're not using the the actual application itself. Uh, we're 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 using the functions of the application. Um, but it would be nice if we had some sort of uh, ownership of that. You know, some sort of communal ownership of some of the. Uh, the, the, the cloud-based services that we use. Uh, now we got Nextcloud, and you know that's that that's the way that I always figured that I'm going to go is just set up my own software as a service uh, on my own server. But not everybody can do that. Not everybody wants to do that. So, hmm. do you think that the approach Nextcloud is taking is the right one for us in free software? Uh, because that's very much about installing a centralized server. And for people that, uh, you know, I, I do actually have a, a, a rack, a server rack in the room below me, and I am running a load of servers that have self-hosted cloud software on them. Uh, not everyone is in the position that you and I are in of, of being able to do that. And it strikes me that NextCloud simply creates smaller corporations to own your data. Do you think that NextCloud is the right direction? Do you think there's a, maybe a federated way we should be going instead of a centralized way? You know, that's a really good question, and and I actually uh, I haven't even thought of that before, uh, and I should, especially since I'm really active on Mastodon right now, and and I'm seeing the benefits of the uh, of of a federated approach, and and Nextcloud could be part of that uh, because you know they've got the software if they can just uh, come up with ways to make Nextcloud uh, easier for for you to have your server. Where you are, I and I have my server where I am, and then we open that up and 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 allow other people to use it. That, that, that that's a great idea and something to think about and put together. Uh, it's going to take some thought. Yeah, yeah. So I, I also know that you you you're into photo editors, um, and I I you know I've been watching the debacle over Adobe. Um, telling people that they can't use um, colors anymore. They, I see, assume everything's going to be black and white or something. Uh, you know, in the world of free software, we have an offensively named graphic suite with a G at the beginning, and we have hmm. uh, we have Krita. Uh, you know, I, I, is is that a good place to be, or or are we in a real mess when it comes to graphics editors in free software? Um, yeah, I'm the wrong person to ask on that because yes, I am a little bit into in, into to, to photo editing software, but just in so far as I needed to uh, to run websites, you know. So I do a lot of scaling, and 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 a lot of uh, work like that. So so I'm I, I'm not the user who's got my camera out and coming home and doing a lot of uh, photography work. Um, so, so I'm the wrong person to ask there. You know, I, I am kind of surprised that Adobe goes uh, online and makes makes Photoshop an online service only. But evidently, Linux users uh, still can't use it, and I find that kind of like mind boggling. 
Yeah, I, I, I may be the right, wrong person to ask on that one because I'm a photographer and um, what keeps me stuck on a non-free operating system for that is Photoshop and Lightroom, which are good. And uh, I didn't know about this new Adobe controversy. Not that they need yet another one. Um, um, but uh, I've found I've found the offensively named one that begins with a G. <laughs> I didn't think you couldn't say that. Um, That's the one. Uh, wrong, but I mean, but I've, I've, it's, it ain't the same. But to tell the truth, my my workflow, there's nothing left that works for my workflow. The last good workflow software came from. It was one that Microsoft bought in 2012 or something and abandoned in 2013. So, um, but, but I have, I, I want to get back to the, something that you brought up, um, Simon, about Europe wanting to care about interoperability because what that tends to do, and I've seen this in Europe a lot, I see it with the GDPR, there's this assumption that only large companies have agency and the best thing you could do is on the one hand, help them all to get along and on the other hand, um, encourage them not to screw users. And there's nothing in European law that I've seen, or California law for that matter, that's where I am now, uh, with the CCPA that starts with, hey, we need empowered users here. You know, we need people who can, you know, who who can have, can, can act globally and can have, not only have choice of of what to do, but can have have control over the companies that that serve them in some ways. And and I'm I'm a little bit worried about that. I don't know if that does that touch any nerves with you, Christine, or are you watching that less closely than Simon is? Uh, not as closely as Simon is, but uh, yes. And and that's you know trying to put a you know trying to put a finger on what's wrong uh, with the whole web app web centric approach to computing. Uh, it's difficult because, you know, on, on the surface, it all seems fine. It's easy to use. You don't necessarily have to pay for it. I can sit here and interoperate with it without uh, having to spend any money with, with, with Microsoft myself since I don't need it to do the actual creation with. Uh, but, 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 yes, it means we're all we're all tied to these monopolies because each of these, uh, you know, Office 365 becomes a monopoly. Google Docs becomes a monopoly. You go to work for a corporation right away. You have to know how to use Microsoft products. You have to know how to use Google Docs. Uh, and yes, that's, that, that, that's, to me, that seems like a big problem. And it starts at the college level as well. When I was working for the North Carolina School of the Arts, um, Students had to have Microsoft on their machines. They had to have uh, Office 365, uh, you know, mandating the, the our government mandating that you use the software of a specific company. It's it's it's, it's just, and I don't know what the solution is. Uh, well, you, you you use this term webification. I think that was right. And if you're, it seems to me something that sad that happened with the browser is that. All of those are essentially proprietary at this point. Um, Google's, Apple's, Microsoft's, um, and even some of the lesser ones. Uh, Mozilla does his best to try and keep Firefox free. But if the problem is if you if you want to operate as a free individual using a browser and say you don't want to accept cookies from anybody, for example, um, uh, other than fully trusted sites, maybe just so it remembers you when you come back, you've just stripped away most of the or a lot of the of what makes the web work now which is all the proprietary stuff on the server side for all of the websites in the world and i've been fighting that one for a long time mostly just fighting ad tech um and it's i wouldn't call it a losing battle but we certainly haven't gained much uh much ground the the assumption is you're we're in a feudal system and you just choose your lords and you move from one, you know, you move from the Microsoft world to the Adobe world, to the Apple world, to the, to the Google world and the Amazon world. And you're living in those places with separate benefits from all of them, but none that go across any of them. Well, I think, you know, the problem, the problem is, uh, is that people are good with that. And, that's you you know a lot of that's 
you, you know, we, 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 we've already accepted so much of that that we're not going to make it go away, no matter uh, how much we change people's minds. But we, we can find better ways to live with that, better ways uh, going forward, a direction to move that in. But none of that's going to happen as long as um, the average person, uh, as long as only two or three percent of us that see a problem with that, uh, that's not going to go away. And, you know, I'm, I'm not sure there's anything that can be done about any of that. So now to, to, to switch channels uh, somewhat, um, when it comes to uh, software licensing, what is your favorite? Uh, open source license? Uh, the GPL. You know, <laughs> hands down, you know, it's uh, uh, it, 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 keeps, it, it keeps the software 100% in the hands of the people and 100% in the hands of the user. I don't have any problem with the permissive licenses um, and, and I understand entirely why the enterprise you know uh, prefers them because it allows them to take their their software proprietary um, but the GPL uh, to, to, to me that's you know that that that's that's ground zero for open source mm -hmm. uh, and which which GPL because um, there's 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 GPL 2 and GPL 3 in common usage um, is the GPL three working, or do you think we should all be sticking with GPL v two? I'm I'm really agnostic on that one because uh, I don't have to deal with licensing issues very much from where I sit. Uh, um, the AGPL to me seems to be kind of a. I I don't see the sense of it. And I don't see where it really does anything. But the the uh, GPL two or three to me, I'm I'm fine with it. Uh, I'm fine with Linux uh, with Linus making his decision to keep Linux on the GPL two. Um, I'm I'm fine with uh, the GPL three. I'm 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 pretty agnostic there. But but uh, I, again, uh, I don't have much skin in that game, so I don't think about it very much. Right. So I don't have um, to think about it very much. So how do you feel about all these calls for using licensing as a tool to stop the war or to uh, uh, stop climate change or to deal with gender equality? Do you think licensing is the right tool for doing those things with? Is, is no, there absolutely, absolutely not. I mean, I, I, I love these people and I think their hearts in the, in the right place and I absolutely understand what they're trying to do. Uh, but, but, but that just actually take software away from people it complicates things so so damn much because a lot of these ethical software licensing um have ethical boundaries that are really very subjective and and, and there's nothing objective about them so you can think you're in compliance and suddenly you're not in compliance um I, I think the software freedoms that you absolutely can't put restrictions on how you use the software. You can't put restrictions on who uses the software. If fascists want to use my software, then they can do so. Uh, because once you go down that rat hole, you, 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 you're starting to do a whole lot of social engineering, which, you, which is not something I think can work, no matter how good your intentions are. But isn't isn't social engineering what the GPL was all about? Uh, I mean, so the GPL was specifically designed to try and drive more software into uh, becoming free software. Surely, uh, social engineering with licensing is is the whole point of the GPL, isn't it? Yeah, well, well, well yes, but 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 it's introducing choice. It's not taking away choice. Um. Yes, you can use the software. Yes, if you make changes, you need you you uh, the the price you pay for using the software is to make it available to everybody. Uh, but there, there's there's nothing there that says. But if you're not the kind of person we like, you can't use the software. There's nothing there that says uh, if you're doing something that 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 needs to go away, like war. Uh, 
uh, you can't use the software. There, there's, uh, I just think it's a rat hole. I think that there's no way that you're ever going to, uh, to, to, to make that work. And I think that by licensing software in such a manner, you're making it completely unusable to a lot of people that are good people and aren't doing anything unethical because they, they, they all of a sudden can't share their software um, with others. And, and once again, with, with the GPL being my license of choice, um, none of none of these are compatible with the GPL whatsoever because they 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 put restrictions on on the software that uh, is not compatible with the GPL. Right. Uh, how easy is it for you to work that out? What's compatible with the GPL? Because I mean, uh, a lot of people say that they struggle to understand the GPL. H- how easy is it to work out what's compatible with the GPL? Uh, can you sort that out, or do we have to rely on having a a guru interpreter for what's compatible with the GPL. Generally, I have no problem with that. Generally, if uh, if if I'm reading about some new software license, uh, I can generally right away say, "Oh, this might be a problem," or "No, this isn't a problem." Every now and again, I find myself having to go to uh, open source initiatives <laughs> website and looking and seeing what uh, the geniuses at OSI have had to say about that. But but, but generally, I find that real easy. Uh, it, 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 there's really not a lot of uh, problem there. It's a, the GPL is pretty straightforward. It you know it it's straightforward, but it is really really hard to sell. Um, uh, I, I have an old friend now, sadly deceased, who was at a one of the big companies and very friendly to open source in general. And every time we talked about the GPL, he would say, "I don't know what to do with that." And, um, and, and in a similar way, it's, it, you know, it, the way it's phrased, it sounds restrictive. And there's an additional problem, which is we have tried hard to get certain name brand free software advocates here who would be, I would think, good at explaining the GPL, who won't come on because our own um, production chain is not entirely free, as it were. You know, we, we, you know, we make practical choices that then includes some stuff that they don't approve of. And so some of the advocates, we just can't get on here. So that's, that's an, ad- an additional issue that, that makes it harder to sell. And I don't know if you have any additional thoughts about that, except, it, I mean, is there, a, is there a one-liner you use by any chance to get the GPL across to people? Well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't find myself pushing the GPL. You know, my, my personal preference is that that's my favorite license. Mm. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in, in the fact that there is a need for, for proprietary software. Even I, you know, I, 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 I don't judge people from using proprietary software. I maybe have, well, I, I know I have some proprietary software on my machines. Um, I also, I also think that maybe Linux would have done better if it had been under a BSD type license or the MIT or Apache, but uh, because distro owners would have been able at the time when people were selling shrink wrapped software to have come up with a killer distro and start selling it uh, without knowing that people could also download it for free. So, so I, I'm not, I'm not a hardcore free software. If it's not free, you shouldn't use it sort of person. I think that's, I think that's a, to me, that's an entirely wrong approach to take, even though I do understand people that do take that position. And, but, but being a fanatic is being a fanatic. I think (laughs) (laughs) no matter which side of the fence you're on. We, We need our fanatics though. You know, that's, um, uh, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the hippie days, you know, we 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 had uh, um, a lot of fanatical uh, far left wing groups that, God save them, they were great, they were helpful, but they were really difficult to be around <laughs> because every word you said was either uh, wrong for this reason or wrong for that reason, and you were you were being counter-revolutionary and uh, but, but they serve a useful person 
purpose because they kept us aware. And I think that's true of the people that just absolutely insist that everything has to be free. Uh, so how, how do you feel about um, putting the GNU slash in front of Linux? Is, is that something you do? Um, no. Uh, <laughs> I use, I, when I first started Force, my rule on that was uh, on uh, sort of like the AP's uh, rules on on a lot of things is first use i would use gnu linux and then after that it would just be linux i think that 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 that's it that uh for those who believed in that that lower that war has been lost it's over with uh i ran a survey and uh it got a lot of open source people that are fairly well known in the community on Phosphorus maybe 10 years ago and to a T everybody said that you know then forget it I got a uh, I got an email from Richard Stallman about 10 years ago and said could you please do the right thing and call it GNU Linux and I said well what I will and I answered him and I says well what I will do is I'll call it GNU Linux on the first mention, but after that, just drop it to Linux. And um, I never heard back from him. So uh. <laughs> I, I have a, a, a brief and funny story about that. Um, I did, Richard is uh, a total, totally controlling on the matter of language. And in a box over there in my office, I have lots of cassette tapes of interviews I did over the years. And one was on a cruise boat we had with for Linux Journal with him, where he was one of the one of the guest speakers on the boat. And in the middle, not only he did insist I had to say GNU Linux if I was talking Linux, but he <laughs> stopped he stopped me from speaking a number of times. And one of them was he said, "You can't say that word." I said, well, "What word? I can't t- I can't say the word." Uh, so you don't say that word. And it took like five minutes of of 20 questions before I got to the word was Adobe he did not want me to mention the name Adobe because it's the name of a proprietary company. Um, it's <laughs> so, so I know, um, uh, I, I, oh boy, there's so many different directions we can go in the, the 10 minutes or so we've got left, but I know, uh, I know Simon has a question about red hat. So go for it, Simon. Well, I was listening to both of you talking about North Carolina and, and you know, your, your affinity for it. And for the longest time, uh, the, the, the Linux or GNU Linux universe was uh, very um, uh, happy with Red Hat. Uh, so, Christine, is Red Hat still a good company now that it belongs to IBM? Or do you think it's, it's lost its crown as a, 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 an open source company? I see signs of that. I, I, I really don't know. Uh, I do know that the, the, the people at Red Hat, uh, when you talk to them, uh, want to claim that they're completely 100 um, percent independent. But I think a lot of that's a business decision made by, by Red Hat and IBM because of the fact that Red Hat continues to do business with a lot of people that are direct competitors to IBM. So they need to uh, to to give that appearance of a total firewall. I really don't see how Red Hat can't be changed by IBM's ownership because any corporation is uh, has to kowtow to its shareholders and IBM is the only shareholder. And and yes, I do believe there's something of a firewall, uh, uh, probably a pretty good firewall between IBM and Red Hat. But I think that uh, that firewall is breached in uh, very subtle ways that Red Hat maybe can make any decision that they want to, but they have to think before they make the decision is how is that going to affect the shareholder. So, 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 yeah, I, I don't think Red Hat's as independent as Red Hat would have us believe. Uh, when I say that, however, uh, on social media, Red Hatters jump all over me and accuse me of being anti-Red Hat, which I'm not. I really love Red Hat. I like Red Hat, and and I hope they maintain the amount of independence that they have. I have a good couple of small thoughts about this. First, with, with Red Hat, um, Bob Young, who started Red Hat, was the very first editor 
in chief for Linux Journal. Uh, and he was not a Linux guy. Uh, and once he found out about Linux, he left Linux Journal and started Red Hat. This is in 1994. <laughs> so billions of dollars later, you know, but he's no longer in charge. He hasn't been in charge for a long time. And, um, uh, and an interesting thing to me as you're talking about this is that, um, uh, is that IBM itself has been a big advocate of open source. Um, yes. and, um, uh, and, and again, it's a gigantic company, um, you know, and, and many, many tentacles and many on the many tentacles, not all the suction cups know what the other suction cups are doing. So it's, uh, it's a little hard to characterize the whole thing that way. But I do think it comes, it, it gets back a bit to your point about the big companyization of, of any op, of, of, of Linux and operating systems and also verticalization. I, I'm, uh, I mean, Apple ran on on Intel um, uh, chips, and now it runs on their own. So they're verticalized all the way down to the metal at this point, whereas they weren't before. And it's not to say that there aren't proprietary things going on inside inside Intel's chip as well. Who knows? You know, you don't. That's one of those areas where it is totally proprietary and opaque in many cases. Um, so you know, some wonder. Yeah. Anyway, I I just wonder if you have any thoughts about that and sort of broad characterizations of companies you know for for about five years i i wrote for it pro today and data center knowledge uh within forma and and that was really good for me because it it it, i was covering enterprise open source a whole lot uh and i was talking to people with ibm and oracle and so forth and I will say that whenever I've dealt with IBM and interviews and so forth, uh, I, I went in thinking these people, you know, are the enemies of open source, especially Oracle. Um, but whenever I've talked to their open source people, they really get it, and they're very committed to open source, and uh, especially IBM. Uh, IBM really surprised me of uh, how much they appreciate and how much they take open source seriously. And I, I should have got it because of the fact that, you know, they spent a billion dollars helping Linux back uh, in the year 2000 or 2001 or so. But, uh, and the guys at Oracle, you know, a company that I completely think uh, are, 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 but is a, is a jerk company. Uh, but the, the open source people that work there are wonderful. They're, 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 they really get open source. They're committed to it. Oracle solution appears from where I sit to separate their open source workers from everybody else. You know, the, 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 their open source people are in a silo, so they don't really have to deal with all the other madness at Oracle. Uh, where with IBM, I feel that um, their commitment to open source is rather systemic. I don't want to make it sound like I'm a raw, raw IBM person because I'm, I'm not. And I, but my problems with IBM have more to do with how they've uh, failed to keep up with the times. So uh, uh, again, to switch channels a little bit here, um, I've been watching conference uh, happenings in the world of free and open source for quite a long time. It all, used to all be about OSCON, and then O'Reilly took that out and shot it in the field. Um, and so now in North America, which conference is the one that free software people should go to, do you think? Is it uh, All Things Open, or is it Scale, or is it Libra Planet? Where, where is the heart of the community in North America now? I've never been to Libra. I haven't been to Scale either. Uh, I love all things open. Um, I, I haven't been. Unfortunately, I haven't been to some of the big community events, uh, such as Scale, uh, such as the, was it Northwest Linux up in the, the, the and and Seagull. Um, I like open. I like. I like the idea of scale. I like the people that I work with, and I keep trying to get that on my agenda, but something always keeps me from going. Um, the, 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 the two open source conferences that, that I've been to that I like a lot are, are All Things Open, which is definitely not a community event. Uh, you know, it's, a, it's a privately run um, 
private privately run conference with Todd Lewis. He he's just a, a great human being, a great person. He does a really good job, and he doesn't really kowtow a lot to uh, to his corporate sponsors. So that's good. The other one is the Linux. Uh, a a Linux Foundation conference that that I've been to, that that I was really surprised at how much I liked it. And that was a uh, KubeCon, and Cloud Native Con. But, that, but uh, yeah, that that is interesting. Um, I've been to a a, a couple of um, uh, of Linux Foundation e- events. Um, uh. I'm trying to remember the name of one of them, but it's actually where I found out that the, um, uh, the, oh God, you mentioned it earlier, um, because of an L. Anyway, it's four letters because of an L, but it's actually about distributed cloud and, and to some degree, the telco business, um, which I didn't expect going in. Cloud native, the cloud native computing mm-hmm. foundation did not have an L in it. What do you know? Anyway, um, I, I wanted to mention it. I mean, sometimes you stumble across things and, um, I went to D Web Camp this summer, um, this last summer, for and it's run by the Internet Archive, basically, kind of. It's a, and it's more of a gathering, but although that was not, it was sort of nominally about the web. It was really thick with open source people of all kinds, and um, and so you sort of at some events you have a lot of right thinking and right working people coming out of the woodwork, and and it had a lot of a, even though it was a formally organized thing, um, uh, people tended to cluster on topics and work on those. The, the um, Internet Identity Workshop, which I started <laughs> with a couple of other people in 2005, is another one of those. There's no, it's not a, it has no, um, it has no, uh, no panels, no keynotes, no, the sponsors only buy food and projectors and stuff like that. And it's kind of like everybody comes and, does a barn raising for a few days and goes home again. But open source is kind of huge with that. So it's sort of like it's a, it's an ethic that's infected is probably the wrong word, but is highly present in there. Um, (laughs) In the back channel, Simon is asking a question. I'll let him ask you. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I dare really. Uh, so, Christine, you know, <laughs> uh, there. Well, I looked at what you wrote to us about your bio. You say you're still a hippie, and yet you like a Linux Foundation event. So, what are your credentials for still being a hippie? Uh, <laughs> uh, what What are my credentials for being a? For, yeah, I mean, for, do, for do, being... do, do, do you do Burning Man? Uh, do, you, do you go to Do you go to music camps in California? What do you, you know? For still being a hippie, well, I, I still live my life as a hippie, and I still wake up every morning wondering if the scene has come back and if I can go down uh, to St. Mark's Place and at the corner of St. Mark's Place and 2nd Avenue and, and hang out with, uh, with, 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 with the street people. Um, in my my past, I was part of uh, Rochdale College, which you probably haven't heard of, which was the largest uh, urban commune. It wasn't really a commune, but it it functioned as one uh, on the planet. Eighteen story building that the the government built with a really weird uh, mortgage arrangement. It was built as a non as as off campus student housing for the University of Toronto and it was going to be owned by the students um it, it, this was a way of placating people because it was going to be a free school and that we would be in charge of the free school and we ended up owning the building because of a glitch they put in the in the mortgage and when they had trouble filling it with students they opened it up to the hippies from Yorkville and we moved in and we realized that we could, we could take ownership of the building and we voted out the government appointed board of directors and uh, established ourselves as owners. And we kept that building for five years until they uh, finally kicked us out. We made uh, 
marijuana is legal now, so I can say this. We, 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 we made, uh, <laughs> we made pot dealing legal uh, in the building and put security at the front doors to keep the cops out. And since, and since they had to have a warrant of specific to a to a specific apartment in the building, they, uh, they their hands were tied. So. They got rid of us, but it took them five years to do it. Oh, you know, God. they figured out how to drive us broke. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, I barely remember that, but I do. As soon as you started talking about it, the 18-story building, I thought that must be Toronto. I think I remember something about that. Uh-huh. Is it, and it, and I, I'm an old hippie, too. They don't have the hair anymore. But the, um, uh, and I was thinking, you know, ask an inveterate hippie a story, uh, uh, to tell a story, and they have lots of them. So, and I'll spare you mine because we are out of time. Um uh, we always close with a, with a, a couple of quick questions. Um, what, one is, what is your favorite text editor and scripting language? Uh, my favorite, my favorite text editor is uh, Bluefish uh, because I I mainly write H, HTML and it makes uh, it it makes that very easy. I'm not a coder. Um, I, I I've never written a word of code in my life other than uh, HTML. And Morse, Morse. I, 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 oh my God, I, I, we're the yeah. same. I, that's uh, my joke. The only code I know is Morse. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, and what was the other question? Oh, and 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 uh, scripting language. So, if uh, well, once again, I'm not a coder. There you so. go. No. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> well, that's fantastic. So, th- thanks. We'll get Christine. around to that one day. We'll, we'll get around. Um, so thanks so much for being on the show and uh, and for grounding us in many different ways on all subjects, Linux and FOSS. And, um, and I have to look quickly. I didn't do it for about next week. Um, well, I'll get around to that. I can, I can, I can see now. Okay. Um, anyway, we'll have to have you back, Christine. This has been a great show. Thank you for having me. I, I appreciate it. It's been fun. So, Simon, this is one of the ones where we had more questions written down ahead of time, I think, than we ever have. <laughs> uh, and, you know, there's a few more to go. And we could have dived down any of those rat holes if we had wanted to. So we would have gone down so deep you would have needed a ferret to get us out again. So um, uh, uh, lots of fun. I, I do think that the, you do need to have a, a, a um, reminiscicon uh, with Christine. <laughs> and, oh, my uh, gosh. Uh, you know, we we can all just uh, sit around and, and cook marshmallows and watch while you talk about all of your uh, exploits, um, uh, avoiding getting arrested for for smoking pot. Um, yeah. So, you know, I... fascinating stuff. And uh, Christine's still out there writing um, for uh, various publications, which is where I normally run into her these days. Uh, so, lots of fun. It, yes, it's great that she's doing that. And um, you know, I've been, and I'm, I'm glad that. All, all hail Linux Journal. The, the original people in charge of it are no longer there, but somebody's keeping it alive, and nothing is 404'd yet, which is so hats off to them for that. But, you know, writing, you know, this is how I write about Linux now. I go to, I do this show, which is like, it's, uh, the, you know, but um, there's a lot of, there are a lot of rat holes we could have gone down. We could have gone much farther with radio um, than, than we did. I'm amazed that she actually, before the show, said that she, had a connection with WMDE in Greensboro, which is like one of the smallest, least known radio stations ever. <laughs> that was, that was on the I'm amazed band. you said you wanted to buy it. I mean, oh, I did because I knew it was going to happen. I knew FM was going to explode. This is in the late '60s, and um, and it was probably available for a bargain. But in, in those days, they didn't have two pennies to put, push together. And on top of that, I was eligible for the draft. And I didn't want to go to the Vietnam War. And I was going to head to Canada if that happened, if I got drafted. So that was my, and I had a child already. <laughs> it was, there was too much going on. So that was, that was, that was that. But there's a lot to, there's an awful lot of great stuff going on back there. By the way, this is completely off topic, but there's a, a great podcast I'd, I'd, I'd called 500, The History of Rock Music and 500 Songs. A guy named Andrew Hickey from, I think he's from Manchester. Um, Absolutely fabulous uh, podcast. So, a little promo for that. Anyway, um, that uh, give us a plug, and then I'll, then we'll get out of here. <laughs> well, it's the time of year when uh, the next big thing is FOSDEM, which is the Free and Open Source Developers European Meeting, and that is happening not this coming weekend, but 
uh, the first weekend in February in Brussels. And uh, around it, there are many other events that have accumulated. So uh, I will be there. Uh, if you would like to uh, share coffee with me, uh, do please um, uh, get in touch. And um, I, I will try and run into you over that weekend. I'll actually be in Brussels a little bit before and a little bit after. So uh, if you would like to discuss anything substantive, uh, maybe meeting outside <laughs> the weekend would be a better choice. And um, uh, hopefully I'll survive that and be back. I think I'm next on the schedule in mid-February to come and uh, talk with somebody. Yeah. Uh, how about I you, Doc? What are you up to? We have, you have you? a question mark next to you in, on February 22nd. So we'll take that off. <laughs> the question mark. So uh, yeah, what, you're, you're about to leave Santa Barbara and go to go the icy climbs of the central U.S., I gather. Yes, exactly. The, well, the, the interesting thing about southern Indiana is it's actually southern. It's the same parallel as Washington, D.C., which it's getting snow right now, but it's they, they average a few inches of snow every winter and not much. So um, it, there's no skiing there as far as I know. There shouldn't be. <laughs> anyway, it's it's still kind of the south. In fact, southern Indiana, the natives speak a kind of southern accent. It's kind of a North Kentucky accent. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I'm, I'll be back there in our new in our new old house built in 1899 and we haven't finished setting up yet. So that's going to be this weekend. Anyhow, I'll see you there next week. Um, thank you, Simon. Thank you, Christine. And um, oh, wait a minute. I, I have to say what's going on next week. We'll be on a little earlier next week for those watching live at 8.30 a.m. Pacific. Um, and the guest will be Ilan Rabinovich from Scale. We brought up Scale, and he will, he will be on the show. He's an interesting guy. It's an interesting topic, and we'll see you then. Hey, we should talk Linux. It's the operating system that runs the Internet, a bunch of game consoles, cell phones, and maybe even the machine on your desk. You already knew all that. What you may not know is that TwitNow has a show dedicated to it, the Untitled Linux Show. Whether you're a Linux pro, a burgeoning sysadmin, or just curious what the big deal is, you should join us on the Club Twit Discord every Saturday afternoon for news, analysis, and tips to sharpen your Linux skills. And then make sure you subscribe to the Club Twit exclusive Untitled Linux Show. Wait, you're not a Club Twit member yet? Well, go to twit.tv slash club twit and sign up. Hope to see you there.